You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 14, and then verse 20. I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled, Joy to the world. Joy to the world. What brings you joy? What brings you joy? What makes you smile? What makes you laugh out loud? What makes you high five or hug someone you don't know? You've done that. Men's done that at football games. We know you have. What makes you weep with joy? Men do that too. When I ask myself these questions, the first thing that comes to my mind is my family. When my beautiful bride, Amanda, walked down the aisle to marry me, I wept with joy. I pulled a fast one on her. When I saw the first ultrasound of Scotland, our baby girl, I cried like a baby. And when Haddon was delivered, I got choked up. By the way, Haddon was baby Jesus. That's all 17 and a half pounds of baby Jesus. He slammed full of divinity and some extra humanity. Also, I've gotten way too happy eating and purchasing new devices. And church not trying to puff you up but I'm humbled with joy when I reflect that I prayed to get to pastor a church like this one day. These are the joys of the world. We're here to celebrate joy to the world. The change in preposition from of to to signifies several things. All the joys of the world do three things. All of the things I just mentioned to you, and some which are very precious to me, my family. But at some point, all of the things I mentioned and all the joys you thought about will disappoint, decay, and die. All of them. Richard Sobs put it this way, it is not the world that hurts us, but setting our hearts upon it. That's what hurts. And yet, we're here to celebrate joy to the world. Notice, it's something from outside the world that's come into the world. So what is this joy of Christmas? Shepherds, there's one over here to my right, have become sentimental in our imaginations. I mean, look how cute he is with his fluffy little lamb. But the people of the shepherd's day, referred to in Luke chapter 2, the people despised the shepherds. Many shepherds were accused of robbery. They'd steal sheep. Using land they had no rights to. They were barred from testifying in court. They were considered unreliable and untrustworthy. The religious leaders of their day 
placed a ban on them so that they could not attend religious services because they were ceremonially unclean. Write this down. The shepherds were notorious sinners. They were notorious sinners. They were known as sinners. But what we're going to find is that joy came to them. And they got to experience the first joy of Christmas. Let's look in chapter, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 9. And this is the angels in the audience, so to speak. They're the ones experiencing what I'm about to read. Verse 9. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they, the shepherds, were terrified. They thought to themselves, we've done done it now. We've really messed up. Write this down. God's glory, God's glory causes us, like the shepherds, causes us to fear because of our sin. God's glory causes us to fear God because of our sin. The angel's appearance and the glory of the Lord blazing around them struck terror into the shepherds. God's glory calls this fear. Now what is the glory of God? Notice the shepherd's response. The shepherds were what, church? Terrified, afraid. God's glory must have some negative or threatening connotation to it. Why? God, the God of the scriptures, cannot be seen. But his glory can. His glory, and write it down, God's glory is the visible manifestation or evidence of his power. If you want to know how powerful God is, you want a demonstration, a manifestation, or evidence of the power of God, that's what the glory of God puts on display. The shepherds got a snapshot of God's power against sinners. That is threatening. Because onlookers, everyone to see God in his glory are sinners. Write this down as well. Sinners cannot survive the glory of God. If we, you and I, have sinned against God, we cannot enjoy the demonstration of the power of God. It is against you and me. Sin and God are at opposite points of the moral universe. You and I created in his image as sons and daughters of God were designed for a perfect relationship with God. If you had a perfect relationship with the Almighty, you would have nothing to fear. But all of us have sinned. All of us have broken relationship with God and now fear fills the space in between you and God. And we are threatened by the presence and the power and the holiness of God. Now, if you're thinking that I'm talking about someone else, 
the neighbor next to you, somebody in your family, your friends, your neighborhood, your coworker you have in mind. Let me make abundantly and overtly clear this is your relationship with God that I am defining right this moment in this message. Let me tell you why I know we like to pass the buck and look at other people. The other day, this was, uh, I think, Thursday night, I was having devotions with my three-year-old, Scotland. And they were, we were in this part of the devotion that's going over that Jesus came to this earth to save sinners. And I anticipated it. I saw it further down the devotional. It asked the question to the child, are you a sinner? And I thought to myself, oh boy. So I got there, and I asked my little Scotty, Scotty, are you a sinner? And of course, everyone knows, oh God, she's a sinner. <laughs> she pondered for a moment. She thought about it, and she did this. Mommy? I said, let's close in prayer. The last thing I was going to do was go over my wife's sins with my daughter. But if God manifested his glory now in this place, if he came down and showed off, ladies and gentlemen, you think you would enjoy it? You would be filled with fear. We'd evacuate this place. We would. We would be just like the shepherds. It's over. Our time has come. What is sin? What is sin? Are you a sinner? Here's what sin is. Sin, write it down, is any action, word, desire, or thought contrary to our conscience or God's word, the Bible. Sin is any action, word, desire, or thought contrary to our conscience or the Bible. Some of you already realize that's a lot of sinning I do. I want to dwell on just the evil thought or sinful thoughts. Colossians 1.21 tells us explicitly that he's talking to Christians. He says, although you Christians were formerly alienated, estranged, separated, and hostile in mind against God. Do you know that our very thoughts are hostile to God and His creation, people made in His image? Imagine you were born in a cell, never able to commit one act of sin such as murder or theft against someone in the outside world. Listen, church. A single thought of pride, hate, or lust, or lack of thought in reverence, gratitude, or faith in God is enough to cast your soul now from God in fear and forever in hell. No person here can escape the glory and wrath, the righteous anger and justice of God. Every one of us, including myself, we must hang our heads before a holy, glorious God and cry, guilty, guilty. So is there a way to enjoy 
the presence of God? Is there a way to enjoy the power of God? Is there a way to enjoy the glory of God? I got good news. Let's read Luke chapter 2, verse 10. I love what this angel does. But the angel said to them, Hey, oh, oh, don't be afraid. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> For look, he's like, pay attention. You're not dead. I proclaim to you, I evangelize to you, I announce to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior was born for you all, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you, the shepherds. You'll find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth. That's nothing new. Here's the sign. Lying in a manger, a feeding trough. Verse 13. Suddenly. So maybe their fears were alleviated a little after the angel told them not to be afraid. Get ready for the next picture. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel. Bam! Legions of angels showed up on the scene. I'm sure this made them feel a lot better. Praising God and saying this. Listen to this, church. This first line, the angels have been singing since the dawn of creation. Glory to God in the highest. That's not new. Oh, but they have a new song to tell the shepherds. And peace on earth to people he favors. Catch that new line? Peace on earth to people he favors. Now you can see the shepherds like looking around like, you talking about us? <laughs> he favors us. Number two, write it down. God's gospel. That's this evangelism. That's this announcement. That's the good news. That's what gospel means. God's gospel causes us, like the shepherds, to rejoice because of Jesus. God's gospel causes us to rejoice because of Jesus, our Savior. You say, a Savior. Savior, write it down, can mean a healer of disease or deliverer of danger. Why do you and I need a Savior? Because all of us are sin sick and we live in danger every moment of every day of God's wrath in experiencing the consequences of our sin now and in condemnation in hell forever. That's why you and I need a Savior. We are in trouble because of our sin. The worst kind of trouble you could possibly imagine. And that's what we announce, though. There's bad news, but oh, there's great news of great joy. Max Lucado wrote, If our greatest need would have been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. If our greatest need had been military, God would have sent a soldier. If our greatest need had been justice, God would have sent a judge. But our greatest need was forgiveness and redemption, and therefore God sent a Savior. That's our greatest need. 
Notice what just, church, I'm going to get excited, and I have been since like last week. Notice two transformations that happen with God's relationship to humanity just because Jesus showed up on earth before he did anything. He's just cooing. Hey, and I'll tell you, he's full of divinity. He was probably a nightmare for Joseph and Mary that night. I believe it deep in my soul. He's a baby, a real baby, <laughs> okay? Here's the part I want you to catch. We read this verse, and it says, Suddenly there was a host of angels. The word host there, we like to get sentimental about it and think about a beautiful angelic choir singing and swaying back and forth, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The word host here is a band of military soldiers. The legions of angels that showed up were the angel armies that suddenly appeared behind the messenger. So I need you to catch what happened. The armies of heaven left heaven, came to earth, they haven't sung a note before. And all they did was chant, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Like, repeat it, glory to God in the highest. Now can you imagine if an earthly army showed up to the gates of an enemy, knocked on the door and says, hey, we got a song for you. We're not here to kill you or slaughter you. We want to chant something towards you. Well, what is it? Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Do you notice what happened? Because Jesus appeared, the angel armies put down their swords, picked up some choir robes and said, we better get to singing. What happened to the threat of fear? When Jesus shows up on the scene just cooing, all of a sudden, the fear melts to peace. Peace. Write it down. Peace is not just the end of conflict. God in Jesus is showing the world we're no longer at odds. We're no longer at enmity. We're not enemies any longer. And in fact, it includes his full blessing. Ladies and gentlemen, he bankrupted heaven. He gave us the jewel of heaven, his own son. He loves you. Right? He didn't hold anything back for you. And then favor. What is favor? Write this down. Favor is God's free choice to be pleased. He's saying, I'm making a decision today because of my son that I'm going to look down on you, listen to this, and I'm going to smile upon you. Wow, what a blessing! So how could the sinful shepherds know they were not delusional? That this wasn't just a hallucination, that they were actually the recipients of a Savior? How could they confirm that great joy was theirs, that the peace with God was available, that God had favored them? God grants them a sign to attest to the truth of the angel's words. The sign would guarantee to the shepherds that the good news announced to the angels were true. Announced from the angels was true. 
So guess what they did? They made haste. Let's find out if this is the real deal and if God has actually favored us. The scripture has already been read to you. They went into Bethlehem and what did they see? A babe wrapped tightly in a cloth, lying in a feeding trough. And what did they feel? Peace with God and his smile on their life because of Jesus. Here's the part, though, that I cannot get away from. Verse 20. Notice what it says. After they saw the sign of peace with God and goodwill toward men, this is amazing, they returned. They returned. Notice how they returned. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard which were just as they had been told by the angels. Thank you. Amen. Notice what they returned without. Without packages, boxes, or bags. Without a scrap of gold, silver. They returned without any prayer being answered. They returned without a beautiful family or a home to go to. They returned without feasting. They returned without a bright future. They returned to their flocks, back to their mundane lives, back to being social outcasts, but they returned rejoicing, praising God and giving Him glory. They returned with their hearts full of joy. They know they had peace with God and enjoyed His good pleasure and smile. This is the difference Christmas makes. This is the difference Jesus makes. This is the joy of Christmas. This is the joy to the world. It's not a guarantee, listen, that your family will be safe, secure, and protected. It is not a guarantee that you'll put another penny in your pocket. It is not a guarantee that God has some wonderful plan for your life. Here's all I can guarantee you today. If it's you repent of your sins and trust Jesus as your Savior, you can know and experience the peace of God and His smile on your life. And that's all I can give you. This is joy. Write it down because the world will tell you every other thing. Here's joy. Joy is this. Joy is Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Do you have joy? I don't even want to say that kind of joy or real joy. That's joy. Everything that else the world offers you is cheap and counterfeit. I'm talking about the real deal today. What if God's only gift to you was His Son to save you? Now, that's not His only gift, but if His only gift, if it was the only thing He ever gave you was His Son to save you, 
Would you overflow with joy? Listen to what Max Lucado provokes us. He's going to provoke you. He provoked me when I read this, and I have to tell you the truth, and this is going to hurt, but please listen. You beg God to save the life of your child. You plead with Him to keep your business afloat. You implore Him to remove cancer from your body. What if His answer is, my son is enough? See, the amens come to the real world. I thought about this. I was sitting on a Ferris wheel with my daughter the other day in joy and thought, what would it be like if I didn't have her? Could Jesus be enough for me? Would you be overflowing with joy? If not, maybe I confess it with you, we're missing the point of Christmas. Lucado goes on, If God did nothing more than save you from hell, can you complain? Having been given eternal life, will you grumble at your aching body? Having been given heavenly riches, will you bemoan earthly poverty? And may I remind you, God has not just given us salvation. Guys, we can go on and on. My point is this, if that's the only thing he did, we should rejoice. That's all my point is. How can you and I know this is true? We can't run to Bethlehem to go see a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a feeding trough. But God left you and I a sign. He did. We can know with confidence great joy, peace with God and His good pleasure that they're readily available to you and I. And here's how you know, I'm about to tell you if you can know for absolute sure. The Son is still God's Son. Right? If you need to know if God loves you, always look to Jesus. But here's the difference between the shepherds and us. The Son for us is not a baby in swaddling clothes in a feeding trough. But it's Jesus hanging on a tree, the cross of Calvary, and some empty grave clothes. Empty grave clothes are your sign. He lives. He lives. <laughs> He's here today. He sits at the right hand of God the Father, ever interceding on our behalf. He hears your thoughts and whispers. He is your Savior. Do you want the joy of Christmas? Do you want the joy to the world? Do you just want joy? The first step of joy is to plea for help, to pray for help. You must admit you are a sinner, right? He can't save you if you go, I'm not a sinner. He came to save sinners. You must admit you are a sinner like those shepherds, that God is unbelievably, infinitely holy, and we are dreadfully sinful. We have nothing to offer God. Our pockets are empty. We give up and we come to Jesus empty-handed. We renounce ourselves and our best options, 
all our options are gone. The only way we receive peace with God and His good pleasure and smile on our life is that God offers it as a gift in His Son, Jesus, and we believe and receive it by faith. That's it. We believe in Jesus' sinless life, his death on the cross for our sins, and his glorious resurrection from the grave for the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. It is trust so simple and so profound that we stake everything on Jesus alone. To trust Jesus is to entrust your life to him and your whole soul in his hands. It is to surrender yourself and commit the rest of your life to your Savior and God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah and Lord. And when you do, rejoice. Christians, rejoice. Our Savior said this in Luke 10, 20, don't rejoice that the Spirit submit to you. He's like, don't rejoice that you might have some supernatural blessing, power, or authority. Jesus reminds them what we really rejoice about. He says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven, that you're saved. Rejoice! That is the joy of Christmas. That is the joy to the world. Luke 2, 1 begins with a chronological note about Caesar Augustus, the emperor of the known world at that time. And after I read the chapter of Luke 2, and I get to the end of it, I feel bad for poor, poor Caesar. See, on the night of Jesus' birth, Caesar goes to sleep in his warm bed, in his palace, without knowing peace with God and experiencing his good pleasure and smile on his life. And then I think about this great reversal. While some notorious sinners, shepherds, they return to their flocks they take off their cloaks and lay them on the cold, unforgiving ground. They lie down under no shelter, just under the stark night sky. But they know they have peace with God and his smile on, it, on their lives. In Jesus, I offer you not a position like Caesar, but the peace and favor of of the shepherd. Jesus, he is the joy of Christmas. Jesus is the joy to the world. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.